1: Hello and welcome to the Manchester's Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston and I'm joined today by my colleagues Samuel Lockhurst and Rich Fay. Samuel, how are you on this fine Friday? I'm very well, thank you, Stephen. How are you? Yes, quite in a jovial mood, quite happy today. Uh, Rich, how's yourself? Yeah, I'm jovial
2: too. I think everyone's got that Friday feeling, haven't they? They can't wait to watch United again against a team they should beat at home, so we all know what happens after that. Yeah, who, who knows what, what we've got expecting at Old Trafford tomorrow.
1: I think you're suggesting disaster is going to happen again, although it was 9-0 at Old Trafford last season when these sides last met. I'm sure we'll touch upon that a bit later on in the podcast. But I thought we'd begin by uh, dissecting the Burnley draw a little bit before we approach into the weekend. Samuel, you were there at Turf Moor, obviously a, a good solid performance in the first half, which deteriorated into the second. What were your thoughts really and, and what were your takeaways from that game? Well, they
0: they're in danger of becoming slightly boring now with the two successive identical draws. The the, the pattern continued at Burnley. I think the well the Burnley game I think in some ways was more disappointing in that Burnley only equalized in the four seventh minute, so they practically had an entire half to salvage that game. But until the end, where they were maybe you know not not kind of camped out in Burnley's uh, third, but they seemed to. Have a bit more of a measure of control then, and, and look more likely. Um, they they just didn't they, they didn't react well to the setback, and that's the problem with this team and and this squad. The, the mentality is so, it's just not right. They're too brittle. When they do suffer a setback, um, they they can't seem to really cope with it. And and Rangnick's breakdown of that today was was quite interesting. Um, I mean, Rangnick's press conferences have all of a sudden changed now um and it's come out that Raphael hollingstein is apparently advising him and it seems as though he's advising him to just um a- avoid anything that might be you know that might get on the back page so he- he's dwelling on the past game a little bit too much now which frankly you don't have to be a journalist to find that quite tedious but in regards to his answer about burnley it, you know it was quite insightful what he said it was just that he kept on repeating himself with with other questions, and there's an audience for that. some people lap it up. Um, you know, I think Honigstein's profile is is quite well known as well in terms of where he comes from and his his wealth in football. he's He's not exactly someone who's going to get stories or is in it for news as such. Um, he's the first media advisor that i've I've encountered who's actually not informed the media that he is a media advisor to the Manchester United Manchester. so he's he started off pretty well in that sense. Uh, but yeah, it, it was strange because obviously you, you kind of have to reflect the the mood of the, of the fan base of the match goes at full time. But to me, it felt kind of p- pointless to dwell on the, the negatives of it um, because you know the, I, I, United did play quite well for the first half, and and they were on they were on repeat going on from from the Middlesbrough game. So the, the only the only thing that is in their favour is that the other teams are always bound to to drop points around that area. I know Arsenal won against Wolves and, and West Ham have gone back up to fourth, but Tottenham losing that's, that's Tottenham being Tottenham. I still think that if Conte knocks them into shape, it, it, it's it's theirs to lose in terms of fourth place. But I don't really see any of those teams um, getting you know cutting everyone else loose. Um, the trouble is United just dropped too many points and. Just looking at rangits matches in charge, I think he's had twelve matches in charge, and they've only scored more than once in, in three of those games. And and that is the the problem. Even though they've become a much more stable defensive side, they, they don't score enough goals. And um, you know, unfortunately for the XG crowd, you don't you don't win games off this XG nonsense. You actually have to put the ball in the back of the net, and they don't do that often enough, which is why they've fallen down
1: to sixth this week. Just so listeners know I am a self-confessed XG nerd. So me inside Samuel yeah. there. Well i think
2: the other thing it turns out though is United's XG hasn't even been that good at the moment. I mean, the last two games they've had, I think it's fifty-two shots, scored two goals. But like at Burnley, their XG was only one point six seven or something. So they're not actually even creating good opportunities at the moment. And that's that's the point, really. I think they're just they're just not carving out too many clear cut opportunities. Obviously against Middlesbrough a bit different. There's the penalty, there's the Bruno miss. But at Burnley United were still sort of having to snatch at half chances, have ambitious pot shots and obviously they had two disallowed goals, which which does drastically change the mood, doesn't it? But it's just I think their forwards are being let off the hook a bit lately because in the last two games there's been moments of bad defending and moments of awful officiating, which have almost taken a bit of the the burden off the the forwards. Like I said, like someone said that though, they they've done enough in those two games. Like they've also played that their best football under Ranik in a way over the last like nine days or so. At times they've been so good and they have just not had those the clinical finishes. But it's just the Jekyll and high performance again, and I, I do think that their lack of sort of clinical cutting edge is, is something that will cost them again. And particularly now they've only got Champions League to play for. You just you can't be missing that many chances against someone, even though Atleti themselves like conceding lots of goals. And when United face them, they have just got to be more clinical. And I think the forwards are at the moment, being let off the hook a bit.
1: What have you made of Ronaldo's form, then, Rich? Because Rania came out and kind of discussed him today. Is it as, as simple as he'll start scoring again? Um, he's obviously going for a little rough patch. What have you made of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's Ronaldo, isn't it? He will score goals. That's what, that's what he does. But I do, I'm, I'm always going to be someone who thinks that he didn't, obviously just the way the move came about and stuff, you know, it wasn't planned. It wasn't, They've had to sort of sacrifice that cohesion a little bit. I did like United more when they had sort of a versatile front three. who all moved around a bit more. I felt that was sort of them playing at their best. But, you know, Ronaldo's going to score goals. He will get goals. Every every striker can go a few games without scoring. But when it's Ronaldo, it's headline news because everything Ronaldo does is headline news. The way he reacts at full time is headline news. You know, he was a substitute at Turf Moor. You've got to remember that. You can't be putting the blame on him. He didn't start the game. Cavani did nothing, really. Um, Ranik came out for pre-match and said we're starting Cavani because he suits this style of play he chases it down but he did nothing he, he really didn't do much and if Ronaldo puts in the performance Cavani did at Turf more, he'd get slated for it but you know he came off the bench he looked a bit rusty you know he, he's wearing a short sleeve wasn't he it looked like he's trying to prove a point that you know he's up for the fight he's up for the challenge um, but yeah I I don't think it's as big, a, as big an issue as people are making it out to be but because it's Ronaldo it gets amplified and you know it, it does become that that sort of headline-grabbing issue, but he will score goals. He'll come back good. But I think the issue for United is that Ronaldo hasn't really done it in a big game this season, you know. And United haven't done it in a big game
0: really, yeah, you great. know.
2: So the two things go hand in hand. You can't just blame him for that. But United have played their run when Raniak took over. There were some pundits saying oh, United will get 30 points in these next ten games. They look so winnable, look so easy. Look at the squad, and United have just trudged and they've made it really difficult for themselves again and now they're coming into another period where they are gonna have to stop playing some big teams and that's the perfect opportunity for Ronaldo to stand up and, and be counted and again that Atletico game going back to Madrid he's going to have such a point to prove and yeah I think the the critics of him
1: could be eating their words soon. There's a lot of players Samuel in that squad that do have points to prove and i know we don't really want to dwell on the negatives as touched upon that from turf more but harry mcguire's performance again wasn't great um obviously he struggled for form this season it, it's, it's not it's not been good it's been a bit of a nightmare um what's the solution that, to that do you think and if united are going to challenge for the premier league next season which seems a world away is it simple is they need a new centre-half in? The solution is to drop him, which they should do, which is what
0: happened last month. And he only got back into the team because of what happened at Lindelof's home while he was away, sadly. He did all right against West Ham in that game. I thought and I detected during it as well that if Maguire looks like he's playing competently, there's a rush to elevate the performance level probably by virtue of, of his na- of his nationality and, and, and what he does for, for the national side and during the European Championship he was terrific. But him and Varane are worlds apart in terms of ability, reading of the game, uh, the way they go about the game. V- Varane has been and is a world-class centre-back. Maguire, I would argue, attained that status very briefly in the summer, just on the back of his, of his Euro performances. But if you're to be, you know, if, if you're to have that status for the long run and to earn it as well you've got to do it consistently you've got to do it for at least a year really more than a year arguably and I don't think he's ever going to do it at United um, and it, to an extent it's not his fault because you've had Liverpool Manchester City sign transformative centre-halves um, for, for cheaper fees than Maguire uh, so to speak I mean Van Dijk was not cheap at 75 million pounds but in the the way he's played, he has become a cheap signing, and, and the same is—it's the same case with Ruben Dias at Manchester City. When it came to that summer where United just had their worst defensive season in 40 years, they were obviously going to sign centre back, and they were going to have to spend big to sign a centre back. And they got the wrong centre back in. I don't think, and a lot of people didn't think they should have used 80 million pounds on Harry Maguire, and. There was a contradiction in that in itself in that the previous year, they could have had him for £75 million um, just after the World Cup. But it seemed like their interest in him was was sparked by his World Cup performances, which, as we all know, is a very, very um, dangerous thing to do anyway. It's, it's pretty, you know, the, a trap is set for you there and sometimes clubs fall into it. But I think a lot of clubs have got wise to it these days. So, the issues go back to then, unfortunately, in that he probably just wasn't the right centre back uh, to have signed at that time, and he's been a walking disaster for for much of this season. They they have got a world class centre back in now in Varane, but it's a very, he's a very different profile to to Van Dijk and Diaz. Van Dijk and Diaz went to those to, to Liverpool and City with with points to prove because they've been playing at lower levels. Varane has gone from a higher level to a low, le- low level at United. It's just a different, it's a, it's a different, uh, it's, it's a gear shift. It's a different challenge for him. And it's a credit to him that he wants to take on that challenge. But I, I do think that in the, in the summer, they probably will need a centre-back, not just because of Maguire's form this season, but the situations with Jones and By Jones, needs to be sold in the summer. Bay should have been sold last year. He should now be sold this year. He's come back from international duty he injured again for the sixth time, I think, during his United career. It's not it's not a coincidence that this that this happens. And um you know Lind- Lindelof isn't the most dependable of centre backs in that he he is susceptible to to pace and, and power in the Premier League, which is not not a great starting point when you're a Man United defender and you are playing in England. But they probably do need a, a, a more suitable partner for, for Um It'll be interesting to see what the next manager does with the captaincy because I think that that has to be really strongly considered. Maguire was prematurely promoted. He's not really backed it up with the performances either. I think that there's a very obvious captain now, probably the only, only contender to take over, uh, which is Fernandez, in that he's got the right mentality, he's got the output, he's got the drive and he calls out teammates. Um you know, Luke Shaw had a moan at him the other night, and he gave some back, and and Luke Shaw didn't return fire, and and nobody seems to with with Fernandez, which I don't think is a good thing at all whatsoever. I think there needs to be a lot more conflict between United players or an appetite for confrontation to in, in, in a positive way, but you don't really see it from many other than than Fernandez. He's he's the um, glaring exception there, and in terms of the goal, of the other in regards to the goal the other night. Shaw's the one who played Rodriguez on side, but the situation was salvageable. But Rodriguez just so it was so easy the way he was able to bypass Maguire and Clearly Maguire unfortunately for him, there's there's that side on camera where it's able to track him running back and he he looks like he's running through treacle. And we know pace isn't his forte, and that that was another reason why it was probably a mistake for United. When it came to spending big on a centre-back, to spend big on someone who who doesn't have a lot of pace, because the situation was still salvageable with Rodriguez, um, but he went about it in the wrong way, and clearly he was he was quite concerned about the prospect of getting sent off as well. But as I said, it, he's he's not had a good season. He should have been dropped before he was uh, dropped last month. I think Rangnick has tried to protect him there and not frame it as a dropping as well. So. You know, it's, it's overdue but I, I still pretty much expect him to be starting against Southampton on Saturday
1: yeah I agree I think he'll start him actually I think if he's coming today especially he'll stand by and warning that's definitely questionable Rich I wanted just one last point I wanted to make from the Burnley game I thought sure was a bit better he had one of his better games this season he was bright and energetic and, and proactive going forward it, obviously United's fullbacks have chopped and changed this season there has been you know Tellez coming in and wan dropping to the bench and vice versa on both sides going forward this season do you think it's going to be Shaw and Dallow settled on left back and right back is is that the choice you can kind of see Ranier going for
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, I think Shaw's had to be taken out of the firing line for a bit, but it always seemed like Tellers' role in the first team was just a temporary one, where with Dallow, there was a, a real reason there to to oust Wampasaka because he's just not been at it since he, since he joined. He, he's been okay, but he's just not been great. Whereas Shaw, you know, he is someone who last calendar year was exceptional for me. Probably was the the best United player um, at the club, arguably the best fullback in the world, even at a stage as well, last year as well. So he is looking better a bit better now. He's looking a bit more confident. I wouldn't say he's back to his best yet, but I do think a a key part of it for sure is just having someone in front of him as well who he can get a partnership with because last season it was him and Rashford. Rashford's been off at this season, but Sancho moved there at Burnley and he looked really good. He played one of his best games and in turn, Shaw played one of his best games as well. So I think that there is a real sort of symmetry there between how well the winger plays and how well the full-back behind him plays as well because obviously with Sancho, he always gets the ball, tries to get on his dominant foot, try and bring it inside. That creates the space for Shaw. Out wide, put crosses into the box as well. So they work really well as, as a partnership. And I think that I'd love to see Shaw and Sancho on that left wing more often now for United. Like you said, I think that is the partnership they've got to go for. And like you said, it's, it's a definite positive as well that, that Shaw's back to form. And like we said, there's still a long way to go for him to prove that, you know, he is properly back because any player can have a good one-off game or so. He has been steady in the last few weeks. He's he's looking like he's more confident, a bit more up to match speed as well. But I think that it is just the cliche. It's all about consistency now for him. And I, I think, again, the fact that, you know, Tellers is back. I think he's still sort of 50-50 for the game against Southampton after coming back from COVID. He's been in training this week. But at least Shaw knows now that he has got some actual genuine competition. You know, he's fought Tellers off once before. And now he's fought off the resurgence as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Samuel, before we kind of look ahead to the weekend, I wanted to ask you about um, Declan Rice's quotes, which I'm sure you saw coming out this week. Basically, that his ambition in his career is to win trophies, which should come as no surprise. A footballer wants to win silverware. But obviously it did make headlines. Um, he has been linked to United. You've done a bit of writing about it. Um, and United's interest and priority is obviously at Sanger Midfielder this summer. Could you see Declan Rice arrive at Old Trafford this summer? Is it realistic? Do you think it's going to happen?
0: It's realistic. He He's interested enough about it that he asked Maguire and Shaw about it in the England camp last year, which I think was, um, after, after I did the story, it was even alluded to on, on the fans' forums. I think John Murta said that players have been going away and teammates have been asking them more about United. Uh, that That's probably dropped off drastically this season, given... Um, the results in, in, in the autumn. But, I mean, David Moyes is, is trying to, you know, toe the party line at West Ham it would, be, it would take a big fee for Declan Rice to go. Well, yeah, everybody knows that, but there comes a point where they will have to sell him. Otherwise, they're not going to get anything for him. He's out of contract in 2024. So I think the days when clubs would be under pressure to sell a player two years before their deal expires, that they have... They have kind of ended now. They're not as under as much press, pressure as they used to be just because of the financial muscle they have. And I think Hazard's an example in that Chelsea got something like €100 million Euros for him when he was into the last year of his contract. It's a bit different with someone like Hazard in that he had an exceptional season. He's he's a forward. He, he was regarded possibly as the best player in the Premier League at the time as well. With with Declan Rice, it's, it's a little bit low down the food chain at a club. Yeah. Um, at a club that have never played in the Champions League, um, who, you know, getting into Europe this season was was seen as, as an achievement, which it was. If, if West Ham somehow finished fourth, then I think they, they just keep him for another year. He, I think he'd be more than happy with that because he would be playing in the Champions League, he'd be playing at West Ham, and then he goes next year when there's a year left on his contract and, and his resale value would still be still be pretty high. If United don't qualify for the Champions League next season, that that is just a big problem. Um, I think you saw that in the summer of 2019. That summer, their stock was the lowest it had been for decades because they didn't have a marquee manager who's able to entice big players to the club, and they didn't have Champions League football. And there were some high-profile players who who wanted out. Uh, Lukaku got his way. Paul Pogba didn't get his way. And you can see a scenario developing this year in that some very high profile players are already running down their contracts Uh, and clearly if they don't get in the Champions League there are going to be some high profile players that will want out as well. But if United obviously get in the Champions League next season then I, I would imagine that it would be I mean, it would be just just very very logical for them to to go for Rice. I don't think they'll be putting it all on Declan Rice, but he does he does tick every box. I think even the fact that he's he could develop into a more attack minded midfielder, it's something that you've just got to you know, brush off. There, he 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 started out as a centre back. He's played defensive midfield. He can play box to box. You saw when he came on for West Ham last week at Kidderminster. Okay, it's some. Non-league side, but he grabbed the game by the lapels and he pretty much kept them in the FA Cup with, with that goal he scored at the end. And he's been playing like that for for much of this season. He played like that last season. He's he's been on an upward curve for the last three or four years. And there there don't seem to be many options for players these days. That there will be clubs that will that will be interested in him other than United, but. I think last year you, you looked at City and you thought, you know, City should be interested in him because of the situation there with, with Fernandinho and Rodri, but with Rodri there now and the other players there, I don't think that's I don't think they will be competing with another club for Rice. A little bit like with Maguire a few years ago, like as soon as United were really keen uh, to sign him and were prepared to pay eighty million, then then City weren't quite as keen on him. I think the, the obvious threat for United is is probably going to be Chelsea and, and Chelsea will be in the Champions League next season. So they possibly have an advantage and there's the whole narrative of Rice possibly going back there as well. But I suppose it's encouraging for United that Rice has you know, made a beeline for Maguire and Shaw and Arsenal about United and, and the prospect of playing for United. And you can absolutely see him in a Manchester United shirt as well. But uh, the, the quirk of it is that United have not signed... Um, mm. A player from the west ham first team since paul Lintz in 1989 which is pretty remarkable when you think of the number of players that have actually played for both clubs but that was the last you know, major transfer between them i think you'd have to go back to something like kieran richardson uh, switching to you know, youth teams as, as a teenager in 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 the late 90s or or the early 2000s so that that's a minor subplot to it which is why i kind of like brought that up over the whole Lingard stuff last week and that it, it might have made sense for United to, to bank some goodwill there and, and, and facilitate a move for Lingard. It would have been much more sensible in the summer, but clearly now West Ham are, are, are a rival to them and they do want to risk uh, strengthening a rival who, again, are, are above them in the league table.
1: Now, Rich, I'm going to ask you another transfer question and you're going to have to promise it's not to shout shout at us off air because it's a tedious discussion between Dean Henderson and David De Gea. We're all a bit bored of it. It's rumbled on for a while, but we are reaching a crossroads this summer where Henderson might look to leave. He was obviously denied a loan move in January. And I think Mm. it's worth pointing out that De Gea is now 31. You could be argued he's coming into his prime, but he's got a year and a half left on his contract, doesn't he? And I saw a report this week claiming that talks and maybe begin to open on extending that contract. So, how do you assess the goalkeeping situation at United? Would you like to see De Gea extend his contract or do you think Henderson's gonna leave this summer? What do you think how do you think it's gonna play out? Sorry.
2: Well, this is United who offer contracts to out of favour defenders like again out of fashion. So uh, it wouldn't surprise you if they offered anyone a contract at this stage, would it? Um, you know, De Gea is in such good form as well, you know. Um I mean I mean, think Solskjaer would say he's the best goalkeeper in the world, wasn't it, this season? But we've gone over all this because it's an untenable sort of partnership. They both can't stay at the club. But I think a lot of it just depends now on the next permanent manager because someone else could come in in the summer who does want a younger goalkeeper. He does yeah. want someone who's more comfortable playing the ball out from the back. He does want someone who's got better distribution, which, you know, Henson ticks those boxes. But, The thing is that there's just so much up in the air still at United and that's why you know Samuel's written a lot about it. That's why United want to get this manager in place before the end of the season, whether that's officially announced or not, just because you can start making these decisions and there's a lot to get through in all areas of the pitch. So the goalkeeping department's a really interesting one. I've always sort of seen it as, I think De Gea is a class above Dean Henderson, but it's almost a situation, it's almost the similar situation as when De Gea joined United. He was still a raw goalkeeper. He just needed time. He needed belief. He needed the confidence of a manager to, to play him a lot. And I think if that happened with Dean Henderson, he would come on leaps and bounds. You know, he's proven himself in the Premier League already. He's still quite a raw talent, but he's got all the attributes required to be a real top goalkeeper. So United just need to make a ruthless decision this summer, don't they? I mean, De Gea always going to be, you know, De Gea, Taylor's stock is so high at the moment. I don't think he'd have too much trouble finding a new club, but then you've got to find someone who can take on his wage demands. It'd be depending what type of fee United want for him as well. Um, so you know it, there is a lot to consider in that in that aspect. But I do think that maybe the most logical thing to do would be to sell Henderson with a buyback clause, or maybe just loan him out again next season while the new manager decides what he does want to do in the long term, because. You know, it's an enviable situation that I find themselves, in. you can't be feeling sorry for them too much. De Gea is one of the best goalkeepers in the world right now in form, but Henderson is is the future, isn't he? Or he's at least there's going to have to be this change at some point. I mean, he like said De Gea is still 31; he's still got a lot of time on his hands to to play at a top level. But United need to have that that succession plan in place, and I think it's also very telling that. Solskjaer was saying how he's got three top goalkeepers, but United are reluctant to actually give Tom Heaton the the backup role. You know, they want to keep them all at the club. Got Lee Grant, who's just basically a coach already. Nathan Bishop was effectively a a senior goalkeeper signing as well. I think United just need clarity. They've they've hoarded a, a bunch of goalkeeping options, but it seems like they still only trust one. Henderson, I think everyone can sympathise with him as with Lingard, they both just need a fresh, fresh start really and if Henderson can't be given meaningful promises this summer about actually being the United number one, then for his own sake he just needs to go the,
0: the the buy-back, so, Sorry to interrupt, you, the buyback um, suggestion is, is sensible, I, I mentioned that to someone who has obviously got knowledge of these things going on and they said that Henderson wouldn't accept it, I think he would just be that uh, you yeah. can imagine him as well being that aggrieved not to have got his chance at united that he'd have no interest in, in going back there apparently so things can change but maybe united would not be able to um get away with that even though it would be sensible yeah exactly was, that's
2: that that sums up others as well others all samuel that they've they've handled it so badly united, like, that yeah. they've they've ruined that rapport they're, there's players now who could still have a future at the club but they might not want to because united have cheated yeah. them off so many times
1: now i was only going to suggest the hashtag uh for Dean Henderson, so don't worry, my input wasn't, wasn't too valuable. That was all I had to say. Moving into the weekend, Samuel. Um, Southampton, Brighton and Leeds, the next three games. And I just looked ahead to March there and bloody hell, it's a bit of a tricky schedule um, compared to the next few games. Are the next few games must-wins for United? Rich kind of touched upon there. They had an easier schedule across December. They've came stuck a few times. If they want to maintain pace for top four, surely they'll have to win these next few games, don't they?
0: If they've not got a must-win mentality going into every game, then they should just clear them all out of the club. Uh, as, as you said, March looks pretty intimidating, but that Liverpool game will probably get moved back because everybody expects Liverpool to beat Norwich in the next round of the FA Cup. And that weekend is when the yeah. FA Cup quarterfinals are due to take place. So United will not have um, a game that weekend of the 19th of March, I think it is. But they are obviously guaranteed to play City away and, and Tottenham at home next month. Uh, the, the way it's got with United, it, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if Southampton and Brighton take take something away from Old Trafford in these these next couple of games. And that's not just because of the issues at United. South, Southampton were excellent. Just looking at the watching the highlights from the Tottenham game in midweek, I know that highlights can be can be misleading, but it was clear that Southampton deserved to win that game and. Um, to have done it at Tottenham as well was all the more impressive War Prowse and Oriel Romeo have have tended to do very well at Old Trafford Southampton have done pretty well at Old Trafford in in recent years since they got promoted in 2012 Um, that season it was one of Pochettino's first games in charge um, at at Old Trafford in the January I think it was and and Ferguson said afterwards that Southampton were the best team United played all season then the following season they drew uh, at United and then the Two seasons after that, they won there. And barring that nine 0 aberration last season, when they had a guy sent off in the first couple of minutes, and there was another sending off late on at six nil, they've either won at Old Trafford, they've they've drawn, or they've lost very very narrowly. It seems um, in, in the last ten years since since they got promoted back to the top flight. And as I said, Walpauer and Romeo, thats that's a good challenge for Paul Pogba uh, tomorrow. Given that he's, you know, he's he's certainly building himself up. I think uh, ahead of that Atletico Madrid game, uh, he's got incentives of plenty to be performing well, um, as, as Ranik has, has spoken about in the recent recent press conferences. But they 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 just need points, and they they need to they need to stay in this this challenge for fourth. Uh, it's it's very simple things to be uh, for us to be saying, but they, they, they haven't been scoring enough goals. Uh, there is a mentality problem in the team that's that's very well documented. It's it's very apparent as well how they don't uh, respond well to setbacks. But they've you know Rangnick feels believes that he's um, seen what the problem is in these recent matches that, where they have dominated the first half and then. They've you know they've faded in the second half and ended up drawing one-one. But the proof will be in the pudding against Southampton. But Southampton is a steep step up from from Burnley midweek, and these one-one draws recently they came against what the eighth place team in the Championship and the twentieth place team in the Premier League. So it doesn't bode well. But maybe they'll do what they they did in Solskjaer's Halcyon days, and that they. You know, the better the the opponent, the, the better performance, the better the performance, and the better the result. But it's still a tall order for them to do that next month in um, in the games against City and Tottenham, and of course the the Atletico Madrid games coming up.
1: Team selection uh, wise, then Rich coming up through the weekend, is it as simple as remaining unchanged? Um, obviously, Rashford started over Alanya. Could you see Alanya come back in? I thought Rashford was all right, wasn't it, Um What do you reckon?
2: Yeah, I mean, as Samuel said, I'd drop Maguire. Don't think he will be dropped, but that's just the way it goes, really. So I'd expect the the back four to, to be the same. and um, midfield as well, with Fred still out with with COVID, still recovering from that. So midfield there's not much to change. I think Matic is out as well. So in terms of actual bodies as well, the United don't really have anything else other to do than McTominay, pogba and Fernandez. And then, like you said, Sancho is great on the left at Turf Moor. think he just needs a run of games there and I think the right wing is you know still up for grabs isn't it Rashford doesn't like playing there he was all right at Turf Moor I'd like to maybe see Elanga get a game there but maybe it is too high stakes to to do that but I don't see why it would be because you know Elanga's already proven himself in the first team and he deserves to be in with a chance so yeah why not why not start Elanga on the right wing I think there's a real opening there you know because there is no standout candidate at the moment the issue United have is everyone wants to play off the left cutting inside but you know that just that isn't feasible. The other issue is that Paul Pogba is playing there, but you know he has to play in this new number eight role. I know that Ranić kind of had a go at his two number eights today in, in his press conference, saying that they didn't really do what they were meant to do in the second half. They sort of drifted about too much, lost their positioning. Yeah, I'd, I'd go a Lang on the right wing, but I I do expect maybe Rashford to start there. But it's interesting, and then Ronaldo in for Cavani because Cavani has got a good record against Southampton actually. But I just think. He was he was bad at, at, at Burnley and he, he probably didn't get sort of dug out as much as he should have done. Um, you know, everyone has an off day. I'm not having an anti Cavani podcast because I do really like him as a player, but I think Ronaldo should start that game if
1: he didn't start in midweek. Rich Faye hates hey, editing Cavani everyone. Um, I just wanted to ask you both one question actually before ending the podcast, just to throw it away and to give uh, the listeners something to, to think about. Obviously there has been some speculation about the man to succeed Ralph Ranić, um, this week. So keep it bro- Pretty brief between years, but Samuel, I'll start with you. Who is your ideal candidate to come in um, in the summer? And Rich, obviously, you can answer after after as well.
0: Uh, to come in, in the summer specifically, uh, I mean, the ideal candidate. I've I've said before, and I'd still say would be Luis Enrique. But he's not going to come in the summer because he's got the the World Cup in in the winter. I think he's an imperfect choice, but I would still say Pochettino because he's, his body of work in the Premier League is impressive at PSG. He's got the experience of, of managing egos. He wants the United job. Um, I, I just think that you know he took the PSG job because he'd become impatient. He'd been out of work for 13 months and United made the mistake of not, not giving him the job or not going far enough with that informal approach that they made last season. So I'd still go with Pochettino. I can understand why people, uh, you know, are behind Ten Hag. I just think that's such a huge leap to go from from the Dutch league to not just to the Premier League, but to to Manchester United. Uh, I think that's that's probably too too much. And, and the feeling in, in Holland has always been that, that Ten Hag would, would go to, to Germany and coach there before then possibly moving on to the Premier League. But maybe time's not not on his side because he already is in his 50s. So as I said, I, I understand why, why people are, are behind the prospect of Ten Hag. But you've, you've got to get someone who you can believe can transform United into title winners. And again, I get if, if people don't think that about Pochettino, that's, that's perfectly understandable because he didn't do that at Tottenham. There are certain opportunities where they they didn't take their chance. Um, but I just think in terms of the available options, he is probably the most suitable suitable one to go in there in the summer. Over to you, Rich. Yeah, well,
2: I, yeah I think just to be different, maybe I would, I would go... For, I'd say in, in favour of Ten Hag to be devil's advocate. But I, I do like Ten Hag, like I said, I like what he's done. But I think the fact that he's proven in Europe quite consecutively now and he's built two really good teams as well at Ajax and he's he's been able to actually have that squad overhaul does certainly work in his favour. Like Samuel said, it's still a big leap and I think we've even seen this with Ranić that he just didn't, ex- like he, he knew how big the United job was but when you actually come in and everything you say is scrutinised, it's just a completely different level to managing in Germany and, you know, Ten Hag maybe, I know Ajax are a massive club but I'm not sure there's going to be the same scrutiny there as what you'd get at United I mean, other candidates. I mean, I could never see someone like Brendan Rodgers ever being taken to by the United supporters. To be honest, um, like Samuel said, Lewis Enrique is is someone who takes a lot of the boxes. But of course, with the World Cup, that's just one that's even more problematic. And uh, maybe you need to look at someone else who's already in the Premier League. I'm not. I mean, someone like Ralph, Ralph Hasenhutl. I mean, he has done a good job. He's going to have to get a, a bigger job at some stage. I know people say, well, he loses 9-0 for fun, but maybe if you give him different resources and a different opportunity, then, then why not? I mean, Graham Potter's going to probably get a, a bigger job at some stage. You've got Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest, who looks like he's destined for the Premier League at, at some point as well. So I think maybe United need to to look around the other leagues and and see what else is available as well. I know that you need to probably have someone who, who can Cope with a, a a size and a club a club of that sort of calibre, but maybe there are options in the Premier League or other leagues that need to be considered that maybe aren't quite on the radar as, as prominently at the moment. But I would say at this moment in time, I probably I would go Ten Hag just just to be different and spice it up a
1: bit. There's one name that hasn't been mentioned that will be available at the end of the season, uh, likely, and that's Roy Hodgson. He would be fantastic for the job. Safe pair of hands and uh, very stout, obviously, joking. Um, fantastic, gents. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it as usual. Uh, thank you, Samuel. Thanks, Stephen. And thank you, Rich.
2: <coughs> thank you. I thought you were going to say that you know it's going to be David Moyes then, but yeah, you went for Hodgson instead. <laughs>
1: I do like the do like coaching yourself now, obviously. Um, fantastic. Thanks for your time to the listeners as well. Have a great weekend, and let's hope United can get a result on Saturday afternoon. Take care.